Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. We are here today uh, with one of my own friends, Dr. Josh Hochschild, who is a professor uh, of philosophy and the director of the Philosophy, Politics, and Economics program at Mount St. Mary's. Uh, we, we recently did a president with uh, a podcast with the president of Mount St. Mary's, President Trainer. Uh, it is quickly becoming uh, a very popular option for CLT test takers. So we do want to recommend visiting the Mount. Uh, it is a great place. Uh, Dr. Hochschild, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, so as we often do on the Anchor Pod, I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of your early childhood education. Uh, you're a university professor. Uh, did you love reading as a young boy? When did you develop an interest in philosophy? Yeah, like a lot of people, I don't think that I ever um, explicitly thought about philosophy until I was in college. Most high schools and and earlier don't have that. But I grew up in a family that loved learning. Um uh, both of my parents, uh, my, my mother had a, a master's degree. My father had a, a degree in in um, in education, um, and was involved in um, helping start the community college system in Vermont. And that's why my parents settled in mm. Vermont. But a lot, a lot of love of learning, uh, love of reading, love of puzzles, um, and <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think. By the time I got to college, I was really excited about being in a great books program my freshman year, um, which I I didn't really know what I was going to get out of it. I just knew that it was supposedly intellectually very challenging. Hmm. Um, and so... Um, what, what program was this? So this is something called Directed Studies, and it's, it's a program for freshmen at Yale. And um, they... they, they ask students in the summer before they enroll um, if they want to apply for this program. And I think you have to write some sort of essay, probably an essay about a book that you've read that's influenced you. But the idea of the program is that you're taking concurrently three classes, one in philosophy, one in politics and history, and one in literature. And they're coordinated so that you're hearing lectures um, on those three topics, but in ways that um, complement each other, and then you're writing papers about uh, in each of those in turn, um, and so they they can they can they can push you farther to think about uh, the the subjects of the classes because they know that each class is part of a larger whole. So at, at Yale, did you start to imagine yourself as a university professor? Uh, that's a great question. I don't think I did. I mean, I had professors that I admired a lot. What happened to me is that I fell in love with uh, uh, learning about the history of ideas and their development and their their influence mm. in the world. And um, in fact, I didn't even particularly want to be a philosophy major. I wanted to major in intellectual history, but the easiest way to do that was to be a philosophy major. So as a, as a philosophy major, I could take classes in um, in history, if they were about intellectual history, I could take classes in in religious studies. I could take classes in political th- political theory, and they would all count towards the philosophy major. And the other thing that happened to me in college is that I I realized um, 
during my junior year and through my senior year that I was only just starting to get good at this stuff. And I felt like I'd wasted mm -hmm. my time uh, earlier on and hadn't appreciated the, um, the, the opportunities to read things that I, that I had uh, been given earlier. And so I went to graduate school just because I wanted to keep studying. I, I wasn't thinking that it was uh, career preparation. I didn't know if I would be a professor, uh, sure. but I, I knew that it was a great privilege to be able to continue reading and writing about the history of ideas. And that's what I did. So, so from Yale, where next? Where did you do your PhD? And um, I went to Notre Dame for a PhD. I knew I was interested in a, a place that uh, would help especially foster study of medieval philosophy, which I found to be the hardest to understand. Hmm. Um, like a lot of people, if you take a, a philosophy survey, you sometimes get some Plato and Aristotle, and then you might jump straight to Descartes. Um, and if you read anything in Aquinas or Augustine at all, um, you know, you learn that they were, they, they talked a lot about God, so they weren't really philosophers is kind of the, the, the secular history of philosophy that you sometimes get. And I knew that wasn't right. I didn't know what to replace that story with, but I knew there had to be a much more interesting story about how you get from, say, 300 hmm. BC to 1600 AD. There's a, that's a lot of time. There's, hmm. there, there must've been something interesting going on there. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, so let's talk about this a bit. And, you know, the fo focus of the Anchor podcast, you know, we say the, the intersection of education and culture, but, you know, we share uh, a, a similar story. Uh, you know, I, I went to seminary to be a reformed Presbyterian pastor. Um, at some point along the way, you, you convert into Roman Catholicism. Can you tell us a, a little bit about that? Yeah, I can. And actually, so, um, in a way, the more dramatic conversion for me happened in college, and that was when I became a Christian. So I was baptized in college, mm -hmm. and partly the study of ideas led me to ask religious questions. And by God's grace, I had I had good friends who were Christians of various stripes. Um, uh, a, a very good friend who was Episcopalian, um, a friend who was a Calvinist. I had I had Catholic friends. Um, and I, I didn't really know enough about joining a denomination, but I knew I wanted to be baptized. So I was baptized uh, when mm -hmm. I was in college and, and um, sort of grew into, I was, I was baptized in an Episcopal church. So I grew into uh, that tradition, but through that tradition, learning more about the history of theology and was starting to learn about, about the Catholic intellectual tradition, which of course was part of my study of medieval philosophy. Mm. Um, so I, I, I was received in the Catholic church a couple of years after graduating from Notre Dame and starting uh, my first teaching position. And I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay that. That was, that was significant, uh, in my life, but theologically, uh, it, it was not as big a move as moving from a kind of agnostic, uh, to, to a Christian when I was, uh, uh, a junior in college. Sure. Uh, and your whole story, our audience can find this on the journey home. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is a journey home episode where I, I relate this story. So. Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll put this in the show notes as well, because it, it's a fascinating story. I've, I've listened to that as well. Um, so talk to us about discovering the Mount. Uh, I, I love going up there. It's only about an hour and a half from where CLT is headquartered in Annapolis, a uh, beautiful area, Emmitsburg of Maryland with a, a lot of history. I mean, this is the second oldest Catholic university in America. Um, did you know of, about the Mount when you were doing studying at Notre Dame? Was this a known quantity? Uh, how did you arrive? Yeah, I, I learned about the Mount when I was in graduate school and applying for jobs. Um, uh, I knew, I, 
I had heard of uh, a professor who it might be the Mount's most famous professor, Jermaine Grise, who was very influential. Um, and and he had uh, he he was kind of attached to Mount St. Mary's, although he wasn't a regular member of the faculty. He kind of designed his own position here, but he was well known in uh, pro-life circles, in in uh, Catholic philosophy and theology circles. Some of your listeners might have heard of the New Natural Law movement. He was he was the uh, the origin of that. Um, and so I, I had heard I had heard of Grise. I had heard of Mount St. Mary's when I started applying for colleges. Uh, to make a long story short, um, I, I actually I applied for a, a job here straight out of graduate school, and I turned it down when it was offered to me to go to a different place. Um, I, I, would, I, I was one of very few people that year to be offered a job at a Catholic school and an evangelical school, and I chose the evangelical school. Um, but um, God has a sense of humor, and he, he, uh, that's, that's where I became a Catholic. And no, lo and behold, Mount St. Mary's was advertising again a few years later, and I was almost too ashamed to apply uh, a second time. But um, you know, thank God I did, and and I think I think God wanted me to be here all along. Okay, so I, I do want to ask you this question about the Mount I mean, CLT. Our our audience, we have many many passionate uh, Catholics listening yeah. to this podcast. Uh, a lot of our families are in Seton or Colby or Mother Divine Grace. Yeah. Um, and there was some concern. I'm not going to lie. There was some concern when, when uh, Mount St. Mary's uh, was no longer a part of the Cardinal Newman guide. Uh, yeah. We love our friends over the Cardinal Newman Society. Um, but how would you respond to, to folks who are concerned about the, the ongoing fidelity, uh, Catholic identity of Mount St. Mary's University? I, I think that's a great question, Jeremy, and I'm happy to uh, to address it. I want to be, I want to be honest with your, your listeners. I mean, first of all, your listeners are right to be concerned about those things. Um, and now more than ever, parents are aware of the need to be attentive to schools that are, uh, maybe just cosmetically coasting on a reputation versus schools that actually are, are actively building, uh, the, the, the quality faculty and curriculum that matter. Um, Mount St. Mary's was always in the Newman Guide. We were in the we were in the original edition. We were in it every year. We actually helped um, develop how how the original Newman Guide was framed. Um, some of your listeners will remember this, but um, when the, when the Newman Society decided to do a college guide, they uh, were very careful to distinguish different kinds of Catholic university and acknowledge that there are different authentic ways to be Catholic. So some of them are. Um, uh, places where you can expect every single faculty member to be Catholic, and and you assume that all the students are Catholic as well. But there are other really really excellent schools in the College Guide, where it's it's a majority, but not a hundred percent of faculty who are Catholic, and where it's a majority, but not uh, not a hundred percent who are uh, of the students who are Catholic. I would put Ave Maria in that in that uh, boat. I would put University of Dallas. Uh, sure. Benedictine College, um, and so Mount St. Mary's was was with that group of colleges that has a solid Catholic identity, where you can trust that you can learn sound philosophy and theology, and that there will be Catholic professors in all the other departments, where the mm -hmm. curriculum is designed with the Catholic intellectual tradition in mind. Um, and I mean, I want to be I want to be careful and diplomatic here. On that front, nothing at Mount St. Mary's has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, the year that we were dropped from the Newman Guide, uh, there was 
one embarrassing sort of public incident with a, a, a prominent speaker. And, um, you know, the Newman Guide needs to take signals like that seriously. I, I, I regret it. Um, and I actually think, you know, my, my, I'm convinced that we could be back in the Newman Guide. My hope and prayer is that we are back in the Newman Guide sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing to do for, for parents who use the Newman Guide as, as, uh, the kind of trustworthy, um, uh, list to start with. Sure. Um, it is, it is a very trustworthy list to start with. But it, it, for those parents who can, I would just recommend that they do their own research and, and look under the hood, kick the tires a little bit, and realize that there are some really excellent schools that are not on the guide. For, for, for interesting reasons, I sort of doubt that the University of Notre Dame will ever be in the new guide. But, <laughs> but there's, there are really good re- I have a sure. son at the University of Notre Dame, and I'm incredibly proud that he's there. And, you know, there are things that the University of Notre Dame does as a Catholic university that no other school does. And, and, you know, the Mount has, um, I, I love Barrett Turner. I've known Barrett Turner yes, for he's awesome. 15 years now. Um, you have some of the most passionate, uh, high, high caliber uh, intellectuals, major, major heavyweight academics who are faithful Catholics on your faculty. I mean, it, it is a rock star faculty there. Uh, and so I, I think with all, I mean, as a, as a Catholic, as a believer, uh, the Mount is certainly a university that we we recommend, and I, I agree. I love to see the Mount back in the, in the Newman Guide as well. Um, can, I, little, can I interrupt briefly too? Yeah, I mean yeah. we're in, we're in the Newman Guide, but I also like to think that we're the or we were in the Newman Guide, but we're, we're the kind of Catholic university where I think any any kind of Christian feels welcome, and any anybody sure. who isn't actively hostile to Catholic Catholicism should feel welcome. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. things that I wish that we could brag about, but there's sort of no right way to do this is the number of students who convert to Catholicism or who are received or, mm-hmm. or uh, confirmed in the church every year. There are some really excellent Catholic schools that would never claim that because everybody's already Catholic. Yeah. And then there's some other schools where I guess they're nominally Catholic, but the, the faith isn't alive there enough to, mm. to bring people in. Um, the, the Mount is a really, really welcoming place. And, and some people accidentally say, oh, we're Catholic, but we're welcoming. I think it's exactly the opposite. We are mm. welcoming because we're Catholic. Sure. And uh, it's that joyful Catholicism that you're describing that I think is our hallmark. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to talk about PPE for a while because yes. I, I need this. I think it may be the very best major. I mean, apart from I, I, I love going to Thomas Aquinas College and diving into the great books or St. John's College. Um, but but if you're going to choose a major, I, I don't know that you can beat f- philosophy, politics, and economics. Um, and so as far as I know, there are four CLT partner colleges that have this program. Uh, the University of Navarre in Pamplona, Spain, where we have a great uh, relationship. I'll be out there with, with several Catholic uh, heads of school and superintendents this November. Uh, Dallas Baptist has a new PPE program uh, as well. And the King's College in New York City. Um, and so if you're going to stay in the U.S., you're going to go to a Catholic college. Uh, the Mount is offering something very special here. And this was, in many ways, your your brainchild. So tell us a little bit about first the concept, the history of the PPE major, and then what it looks like at the Mount. Yeah. Um, PPE is uh, something that originally developed in England at Oxford and Cambridge. Um, and the idea was that um, some of the majors are too specialized to really help students see the connections between between things. Um, modern, the, you know, the problems of modern society are complex. 
And if, if, if you're very, very well versed in economic theory, but you don't understand history and politics very well, you'll, you'll be limited in the way that you can apply things. And of course, both of those things imply uh, really fundamental questions about, about um, human nature and society. So it helps to have philosophy in there as well. Um, it, it has grown as a major. It's still not something that you can expect to find at most places, but there are schools in America that have that have been developing this and there's a really interesting sort of coalition of schools that cooperate on uh on um, developing uh ppe initiatives um i saw an opportunity for the mount to be one of the few places that integrates a a a christian worldview into pp and e and we almost uh thought about playing with the name a little bit to include theology because our the way we designed our major includes some theology courses as well we decided in the end to stick with the the, the sort of existing branding of pp and e as philosophy politics and economics so it's not in the name um but yeah uh years ago i was i was uh doing a stint in middle management i was the dean of the liberal arts college and um mm-hmm. i talked to people about uh collaborating across departments to design this major and um we have a we have uh an outstanding chair of our political science department um amanda krause and and she sort of took up the uh the reins and and designed the program and she was the director for the first few years um so i've inherited a program that i wanted to see here and then and then was built here with a with an outstanding group of faculty uh, your friend Barrett Turner in theology is is one yeah. of the one of the faculty in the program. We have some a couple of outstanding economists who are faithful, well formed Catholics who who talk about economics in terms of Catholic mm-hmm. social teaching. Um, and the idea is to give students a sense of the integration of learning. I mean, a lot of a lot of schools talk about the liberal arts and the, and they only do integrated liberal arts learning early on, and then they expect students to specialize. Um, and and um, PPE allows students to continue that integrated learning, drawing on history, drawing on um, on ideas, but but applying them to uh, practical w- real world solutions. Uh, so, in a sense, uh, one of the reasons I really like PPE is that it's the anti major. Students don't really have to choose a major, um, and it gives you an, it gives you it, it sort of avoids some of the awkward questions for students who tell mom and dad that they want to make major in philosophy and their parents. I know none of your listeners would do this terrible thing, but it happens. Uh, sure. they say, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Uh, and then you have to talk about how, you know, in principle philosophy, whatever, but nobody says that with PP&E. They're like, oh, that sounds really cool. PP&E. Mm-hmm. And if they do ask, what are you going to do with that? You say, well, I could go into public policy. I could go to law school. I could go to grad school. Um, I could go into journalism. I, I could go, go work for a think tank. Um, I, I could be a staffer on the Hill. And we've had students do all of those kinds of things from our program, even though it's it's a fairly young program already. Um, uh, we, one of our students is a Fulbright this year. She graduated last year. Another one is uh, yeah. a writer for the American Conservative. And he had offers it. He had he had an offer to go to grad school and he had an offer to be uh, a, a Catholic school administrator. Um, so he could have done anything he wanted and and, and that's just an example, but I know that I know that he would vouch for PPE as helping to sort of foster the kind of mind that would be able to have all those opportunities. You know, I'm optimistic that that employers are starting to to change in their thinking uh, about it's not so much what you what you know, what skills you have, but but who you are. 
yeah. that, that, that for me as an employer, I mean, that, that's the top question is, is who are you? That you're someone of character, that you know how to listen well, to think well, to solve problems, to work collaboratively. Um, so the, the program at the Mount, I mean, the Mount is in, in the business of, of the formation of the whole human person. Uh, the PPE program, other programs at the Mount, uh, do you connect students directly to employers? Are there a lot of internship opportunities? Can you speak into that? Oh, yeah. We have, we have a really active career center. Uh, most of our majors have some kind of internship requirement. The PPE program has an internship requirement. Um, and, you know, we're close enough to D.C. and Baltimore that we have um, big employers come and do, you know, career day type things like any college uh, would have to help, to help their students find employment. But I mean, one of the things that I love about the major too is that it helps students to be creative and make connections and be confident enough to to find their own paths instead of uh, just sort of being filtered through a a, a career day. So you know, um, I I I think you're right. In general, employers are not looking for credentials; they're looking for um, for talent, for quality people, and they know. Again, now more than ever after after the pandemic, after various ideological battles in in public schools, um, you you talk all the time about the spike in uh, classical schools, charter schools, homeschooling. Yeah, um, more parents than ever are attentive to the fact that the, the kind of education matters, the kinds of people who are um, cooperating with you to educate matters, and uh, more more than um, more than anything else, I think that's that's uh, what what shapes a young person in their education. Well, we we should talk offline as well. We've got a great, uh, increasingly competitive internship program here at CLT, uh, and I would love to get a, a Mount student who's that's a PP. Awesome. So let's let's make that happen offline. Let's do that. Uh, we we always conclude the anchor podcast uh, with asking our guests about the book uh, that has been most formative for them. Um, I get the sense you've read a lot of books, but I'm wondering if there's one uh, that you come back to maybe year in, year out. That's fair. It's been a while since I've I've returned to this one, but since you want something formative, it should be something earlier in my life. Um, and I mean, a, a book that I read early on in college that really grabbed my attention and that I have reread and I've even written about it a little bit is Richard Weaver's Ideas Have Consequences. Mm, well, uh, he was an English. He was an English teacher at the University of Chicago. He happened to have a roommate who was uh, a Thomist thinker, and and this book, I have found out much later, was very much informed by Thomistic philosophy. Mm. Um, but he he himself calls it another book about the decline of the West. It's 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 dramatic. You might even say melodramatic. Um, and and um, there's all kinds of things that now I believe are a little bit too crude or, or, or simplistic about his analysis, but it captured my imagination, um, in college and, and the title Weaver didn't like the title, but the title describes the main thesis of the book, which is that, that what we believe shapes what we do mm-hmm. and shapes society. Ideas have consequences. And he thought, especially ideas in the middle ages have had consequences for life today that more people need to be aware of um, and that that has context? set my path on studying uh, medieval philosophy yeah what, what is the context is he a contemporary of, of alan bloom is this a what year is the book no it's it's earlier i think the book was published um oh boy I, I should know off the top of my head i think it was either in the 40s or very early 50s okay okay I'm pretty sure pretty sure it was early 50s um 
he was, even though he was at Chicago, I think he's often typically identified with Southern agrarian writers. I think he was from the South. And so he's sometimes Hmm. lumped in with people like Alan Tate or um, the, the, the Vanderbilt School of Literary Literary Theory. He has a he has a wonderful book about rhetoric, um, and um, yeah, he was he was responding to um, what what a lot of mid twentieth century people were responding to. Everybody knew that there were political crises, but but intellectuals were trying to show how the political crises themselves were growing out of um, uh, changing ways in which human beings were thinking of each other and of society and. Uh, and what justice is and and how we should live together. Uh, Again, uh, we are here with Dr. Hochschild from Mount St. Mary's University. Uh, Dr. Hochschild, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Um, For our our audience, uh, if they want to get on campus at the Mount, uh, is there something you'd recommend, a a good time or a next step? Uh, CLT, we work with a ton of colleges, almost 300 now that accept the CLT, but we don't we don't recommend or endorse uh, that many for sure, but but I, I do think very highly of the Mount. I, I love the work that y'all are doing, some dear friends there. Um, what would be a good next step for students and parents? Thank you so much. Definitely visit the campus. It, it's, it's a beautiful spot. It's, it's, it's fairly convenient if you're in the D.C. or Baltimore area. Um, and you can just show up on campus. And anybody who's listening to this, uh, please reach out to me. I would love to meet you on campus. I'll, I'll give you a personal tour. Um, but that. I know I know that our admissions office uh, does incredible work welcoming people, and and we have a, we have uh, an easy web page to navigate uh, to if you want to schedule a visit, if you want to make sure that you can visit a class, um, if if you want to um, find out more uh, through our official uh, admissions office channels. But uh, honestly, please reach out to me if, if 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 someone's interested in theology, reach out to Jeremy's friend uh, Barrett Turner, um, and we would love to see you on campus. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Hochschild, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for all the great work you're doing, Jeremy. It's a great renewal of education and you're at the heart of it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchor. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.